0: I think the significant differences in terms of recruiting between now and then are, if I want to know who the chief accounting officer is of XYZ company, I can find that out in about 12 seconds. That was not something I could have done back in 2001. That could have been a week-long project of who do you know here, who do you know there, picking up the phone, making phone calls. Just that access to information, I think, is radically different.
1: In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading accounts payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stampley and schedule a demo at stamply.com.
0: Hello there. My name is Derek DeWinter, co-founder of the DeWinter Group, and today we'll be having a podcast with a couple of my amazing colleagues, the third in our series. I want to first thank Stamply for making this happen. I appreciate that very much. Those of you who are unfamiliar with the DeWinter Group, we are a 21-year-old search firm with about 90 people here in the Bay Area. It provides finance, accounting, technology, HR, and board search services, both on a permanent basis as well as a consulting basis. And today, I have the really great fortune of having an awesome conversation with two of my favorite people in the world and two leaders that are on our permanent search practice, and that's Andy Denise and Tommy Tillicher. And I'm going to ask them real quickly, just to do a quick intro, and then we'll dive into kind of the big part of our conversation, which is the market we're in, how we're navigating it, what we can do, and all that kind of fun stuff. So maybe Tony, if you can start. I-
2: My name is Tony Tillisher. I am a managing director for DeWinner Associates. I've been at the firm for about six years, and I've spent almost 10 years in the finance and accounting recruiting space within the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a minnesota native i I moved to san francisco about 10 years ago in 2011 and my background is actually in accounting i started my career in in public accounting um, in minneapolis where where i'm originally from um, with kpmg and then I, i moved out to san francisco and started in in recruiting shortly thereafter
3: yeah i'm originally also from the midwest from kalamazoo michigan went to michigan state started my career in public accounting technology consulting and finance mixed in some software sales and find my way to recruiting about 15 years ago. The last nine of which I've done with the winner group and has seen the firm grown immensely during my tenure. I think we were in the twenties in 2012 and now we're over hundred. It's been a great ride.
0: Awesome. All right. We're going to jump right into things and start talking about this crazy market that we're in right now. There's a lot that we're going to dive into, but I'm going to start with Tony. and. I guess I would want to hear from you, since you guys are a little bit more on the front lines than I am, about the pace of the market and maybe compare it to markets of yesteryear or maybe even kind of year over year comparisons. That actually may be slightly unfair because last year at this time, it was an unbelievably radical different market than we've ever seen before. But maybe talk a little bit about kind of some of the things that you're seeing out there on the current pace of the market.
2: Yeah, I, I think this is it's got to be the fastest paced market, market that I've ever been a part of in my my 10 years doing this. I think the San Francisco Bay Area market has has always been pretty fast paced. If you compare it to to other geographies in the United States, there's just so much innovation here, and I think so many openings in in you know what we do in finance and accounting. That's always been the case, but this year has been a special year. So I think clients have to be prepared to move quickly in this market. I've seen it time and time again where clients have have dragged their feet on candidates and they've lost out to the other companies that have moved quicker on that candidate in their interview process or. While they're in the interview process, other companies get introduced to that candidate during the interview process, and now they've got many options on the table. These companies are all competing for you know, the same talent pool. So we're seeing more competing offers than I've ever seen before, more turndowns than I've ever seen before. The pace of the market has just been crazy.
0: Andy, on yeah. your side, what are some of the top roles that CFOs and VPs of finance are, are looking to hire these days? And, and maybe yeah, is it yeah. any different than in years past?
3: No, it's totally different. And and just to pile on to what Tony was saying, like, this is this is the craziest job market I've ever seen, like, hands down. And compared to where we were, you know, 12 months ago, when we were just starting the pandemic, or kind of getting used to the pandemic about six months in, and we were hurting. And now we're as busy as we've ever been. It's just, it's extraordinary. And it doesn't make any sense in some ways, because we're coming out of this pandemic. But Here we are running more jobs than we've ever run and having more success. So it's, it's it's just crazy. As far as the roles, like we've, we've been more really equally spread from like the lower level positions, higher level positions in years past. And now we're just, it's really top heavy. I think CFOs are looking for, for two primary roles. One is that corporate controller. Like we've never run so many corporate controller searches at one time ever. The second thing that's really highly sought after is that director of SEC and technical accounting. There's so many companies who are going public either through the traditional S1 route or via the SPAC route. And so those two roles seem to be in super high demand over the last six months or so.
0: On your end, Tony, what have have you seen, and this is maybe a fairly obvious question, but from on the client side, from remote working or hybrid working situation, what what are some of the trends that you're seeing?
2: yeah that's a really good question at the firm we've split it up into kind of two or three definitions right you have the fully remote where companies are open to having somebody work anywhere in the country Uh, maybe they want to have that person fly in once a quarter or something like that but they're okay with that person not coming in on a weekly basis then we've got like the the hybrid working model which is you know we want somebody in the office two or three days a week and then the third one is we want somebody here full-time right four or five days a week a traditional working model And that was pre pandemic, that was where we saw a majority of clients being in that, hey, we want somebody here four or five days a week. That's pivoted a lot since COVID started. So now, out of our approximately 120 searches we have right now, I'd say 30% of those are fully remote and 60% 60 are in this kind of flexible hybrid model. That's 90% of our our clients are like, hey, we're going to be a lot more flexible with candidates and our employees about where they're working and how they're getting the job done. And I think. I think the pandemic's kind of proven that people can still be really effective working from home before it was like, oh, if you're working from home, you're not you know, really getting the job done. And I think that this has proven that you can still be really effective working at home and, and a lot of people prefer having that at hybrid model. And I'd say, as we've gotten further into the year, we've seen more and more of that transition happening. Maybe in the beginning of the year, we're still in this pandemic era, but I've, I've seen more and more. Clients be open to a fully remote model, and that could also be partially due to the tight candidate market, where they're saying, "Hey, look, we may not find this person in the Bay Area like we wanted to, so maybe we have to look somewhere else on the West Coast, maybe Seattle or Oregon, or maybe it's down south in LA." But their clients are realizing you might have to expand that pool of candidates because the candidate pool here is is relatively tight.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah, god. I was just going to pile on top of that as well as, and candidates want remote work. They want flexibility. Some are cool. Most are cool with one or two days a week in the office, but more and more of the candidates I talk to, like they, their number one request is I need to be fully remote. And then we have clients of the old school thinking where, Hey, we want someone in the office four to five days a week. And I think we're cutting our candidate pool in half at least if, you, if that's a requirement. So it's, I think it's really a, a, a time to be more open to that in this environment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and I actually have a really good example of that, Derek. I don't know if we're going to get to to examples later in the chat here, but I had a candidate that, that declined an offer last week who she actually preferred this company. It was a biotech company and I think the offer was better, but they were wanting her to be in the office four or five days a week. It was in the peninsula. She started looking at, you know, housing in the peninsula and she said, Oh my God, it's so expensive there. And so she actually ended up taking another offer, which was her second choice because. They were more flexible, and they were saying, "Hey, you can be mostly remote. Maybe come in once, a couple times a month." But that was her main deciding factor: was how often she has to be in the office, how flexible her employer was. So and that's happening in a lot of instances. So to Andy's point, like these companies that are like, "Hey, you have to be here four or five days a week," they're going to they're going to be losing a lot of top talent.
0: Yeah, so it's sort of an extreme version of what we dealt with before, which is the commute. I mean, commute was a really gating factor in terms of where people were willing to go. And so this is just a more complicated version of the same decisions that candidates were having to go through in terms of, I'm not going to commute from Pleasanton to San Mateo, for instance, or that's an undoable type of situation. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hey, kind of on a uh, sort of a different tangent, how would you characterize your jobs today as compared to five years ago uh, or 10 years ago. So I'll go five and 10 because Tony, you're a younger buck than Andy yeah. and I. But, so five years ago, easier, harder?
2: Yeah, I'd say in a lot of ways, it's easier. I think that the the more robust job market, the more opportunities there are for us to to work with various clients and honestly, to be more selective about who we're working with. I think pars- it's partially a function of of how busy the market is that it's a little bit easier, but also our team has grown. Andy mentioned earlier that when he started the company, it was around 20 people. I think we're probably around 100 right now, and, and we've just got a lot of people in the firm and our team that have been in the San Francisco Bay Area market for a long time, and they've just built really good connections and a really good network. So that that tends to make the job of, of recruiting easier. Just, you just know more people. I, I think the difficult part of it is, just, is this balancing everything, right? We have so many searches that we're, sometimes we're probably working on too many at, at some points in time. So it's like, how do I, how do you manage your time effectively? Where, where should I be concentrating more of my efforts on certain searches than others? So I think that's the challenging part in a very robust market is just almost being too busy, but I'd take that over last year where we, where we didn't have enough, or we're just it was a really tough market. <laughs> and
0: what about you, Andy? Rewind 10 years.
3: Yeah, 10 years. I'm going to go back even a little further. You know, when I started my career, it was like 2007 to 2009, and the recession, and there was not a lot of jobs to work on. So it was, it was the antithesis of this. There was a lot of candidates, really good candidates looking for work, and not a lot of good openings. And clients got to be rightfully super picky about who they wanted and and they had their wish list of 10 and they wanted 10 out of 10 and in most cases they got it because there was so many candidates to choose from and now flip that on its head and we've got so many jobs and so many candidates have already made moves in the last year in the last six months people have moved out of state during the pandemic they only want fully remote and so that that candidate pool has really shrunken so it's it's really uh you know, it's a great time for candidates to be looking. It's a difficult time for employers to hire. And they have to be a little more open and look more about aptitude versus experience. And they're not going to get their 10 out of 10 wish list in, in this kind of market. And it's just a, a totally different time.
0: I use the term yeah. wackadoodle. It's not a yeah. really technical term, but it seems wackadoodle.
3: Yeah. And Derek, <laughs> you've, been rec- you've been recruiting a little bit longer than 10 years. Like what, what's your opinion a little on bit. this market?
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, I've been recruiting over half of my life, which... That sounds good and bad at the same time. I did go back. There's a handful of things that I think are very different from, say, 20 years ago. 20 years ago is 2001. We were just coming off of a dot-com boom. I think the significant differences in terms of recruiting between now and then are the real obvious one is just information. Like, access to information is extraordinary now. If I want to know who the chief accounting officer is of XYZ Company, I can find that out in about 12 seconds. You know, that was not something I could have done back in 2001. That could have been a week-long project of who do you know here, who do you know there, picking up the phone, making phone calls. Just that access to information, I think, was radically different. And it was around kind of the same time also, too, that recruiting teams and talent organizations started to be popular. Back in 1994 and 5 and 6 and 7, when I first started recruiting, you didn't really have internal recruiting teams and organizations. Right around 2001 or that time period is when those organizations started to get built up, which created a little bit more tension between us and the clients that we were working with. I think it's actually incredibly healthy. And those organizations have gotten really big these days with almost every company. In fact, anecdotally, I I thought I heard the other day. In fact, I didn't know. I, I did hear that there were supposedly more recruiter openings in the world than there were engineer openings. Wow. Wow. Yeah. LinkedIn study. I'm plugging LinkedIn. Thank you. And I think the other kind of severe difference between 2001 and now is this wealth creation that's happened at companies. Not a lot of people know this. Back in 2001, the NASDAQ composite index was at like 2000. Today it's at 15,000. Apple was a $7 billion market cap company. Today they're $2.7 $2.7 market cap, and the same is true with Amazon. They were a $4 billion market cap company. Today, they're close to $2 trillion. So you have this incredible wealth accumulation right around the same time people started, or people, companies started transitioning from stock options to RSUs. And so you have this, you have a captive audience of candidates today that are in this marketplace with the highest levels of valuations that we've ever seen that are simply off limits. So your candidate pool, which was the size of a pizza, you start pulling slices away from that of people that moved out of town or people who work at Google, Salesforce, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, you name it. Those are not candidates that we get to put into the system. So the disparity the differentiation there in terms of kind of the embedded wealth that people are getting at these companies is, is really amazing. And very different from when I first started recruiting, where you've got a, you could have gotten a sock option at the right time or the wrong time. And if you got it at the right time, you were locked in. If you got it at the wrong time, you were as free as a bird to go looking around. So it made people a little bit more portable, I think, back then than they are now. For mm. So, well, we talked about it a little bit, like in, in, instead of focusing on kind of what's going on with the client side, are you guys hearing anything specific on the client or on the candidate side of things? Again, you talked to the, about that a little bit, both of you, but
1: is there yeah. anything
0: very specific that you're hearing that's a little bit different than in you know, days gone by?
3: Aside from people want remote work, that's the primary one, but salaries have gone up a ton in, in the last year. And I think that in, at all levels, really, like we're seeing offers go out that we didn't see in years past for series B, series C companies, And even like public accounting, I think they're trying to retain their talent. So I I heard that they offered seniors like a 30k raise, and and those seniors want that typical bump when they leave public accounting. So it's just been both from the top and from the bottom, like both those salaries have been going up.
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple other things, Derek. You talked about some of the the big players in the valley and being tied to their stock, and I think one of the things I'm hearing more, especially for pre-IPO company or candidates interviewing at pre-IPO companies is just a little bit more clarity around like equity discussion. What does it mean? What's the value of it? How can they compare that to what else is out there in the market? And especially when those types of companies are, are trying to recruit somebody that's at a publicly held company and yeah. they're getting RSUs, there needs to be as much clarity as possible in the equity discussion about those stock options. That's one thing that I'm hearing a lot of, especially for your mid to upper level people where, where that becomes more and more important. And I think the other thing in this environment is providing candidates with a great interview experience. And, and a lot of candidates are interviewing remotely, they're interviewing over Zoom. And so how do you differentiate yourself in the interview process from other companies that are also interviewing that mm-hmm. candidate, which they're no doubt going to be interviewing at, at multiple places and just providing them with you know quick feedback and following up on, on the next step and just a great overall experience, because ultimately you have What, three, four hours with somebody, and you're trying to make it, they're trying to make a decision on you, and you're trying to make a decision on them. I think that's really important in in this era that we're in right now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Also, on top of that, it's so much easier to interview now. Like, you don't have to take a day off of work or call in sick and travel and go to the office. Like, you can interview from your home and during working hours, and it's pretty easy. So, you know, I think candidates are more open to interviewing than they were in the past because it's a little bit easier. And that, You know, there's a dual edge sword to that because then some people are like, I'm just going to try to, you know, interview as much as possible, collect as many offers as possible. So it's, you know, instead of candidates really focusing in on, you know, one or two things, they're looking at four or five things.
2: And, And I think that's where our job comes into play. We need to be checking in with those candidates and saying, Hey, how many other things are you, are you interviewing for? Where is this stack up with the other companies that you're interviewing with? What's your interest level? If, if you're not interested, let's pull out. We don't want to keep you know wasting your time and the client's time. That's always been true, but I think to Annie's point, it's been more true now than ever because of the ease of interviewing.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's easy to it's so easy to jump on a call, and it's so easy to jump on another call, and it's so easy to jump on another call. I think that the amount of waste in the interview processes, both on the client and candidate side, although really kind of on the client side. It- is extraordinarily high. And so I think our check-ins need to be that much more detailed. And I think that helps you the good part about the winner group, and as I give us a plug, is we've all been working together for a long time. And we generally know the candidates that we've placed for more than just a LinkedIn introduction. These are folks that we met for lunch or coffee two, three, four, five, ten years ago. And I think that helps to kind of provide clients a little bit more legitimate clarity about the resoluteness of a candidate to the best that we can. But I find myself talking to clients about that a lot, that like, we actually have met these people. It's not just a Zoom call. In some cases it is, right? If they're new. But like in a lot of cases, really in most, these are folks we have lots of great stories to talk about. So speaking of stories, as we get close to wrapping this up, any kind of fun crazy off-the-wall thing that you saw this year that I never thought I would see this story time to maybe make somebody who's watching this feel better about themselves? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting.
3: As a firm, we've never made as many placements as as we've made this year. It's just astonishing. We've also never had as many offers turned down there's just that level of movement in the market right now and people getting multiple offers four five six i've heard a person getting seven offers at the same time it's just it's astonishing one one fun little story is we had an offer turned down and i told the candidate because she was really on the fence hey if things don't work out with this other company let me know and really never said that before to a candidate and it just felt like the right thing to say because it really felt like the right fit with the company she was turning down. And, and a month later, she called me and she was like, Andy, and instead of to call, I wasn't happy. And I, I made the wrong move. And normally, I think in other markets, a CFO would not want to re-engage with someone who turned them down. But in this market, he was like, absolutely. And we all, all of a sudden turned that one around and, and had a new offer out within a day. So, uh,
2: that's a great the story. Offer higher
0: or lower than it, it was before?
2: Uh, same offer.
0: I oh, okay, yeah. was hoping that was good. Amazing.
2: yeah yeah that's a great story good for you andy and good for your client
3: yeah no to be open to that because normally it's like dating like if you get shunned or your your phone calls aren't answered for a month you don't want anything to do with this person Yeah, exactly yeah
2: Yeah, the ego gets bruised Mm -hmm. yeah you mentioned this seven offer situation andy and, and i don't know if derek was gonna bring it up too but that was actually a candidate that i was dealing with directly for one of my clients and he had a you know plethora of offers obviously ranging from public companies to pre ipos and the thing is that the, he was a controller right it wasn't like he was a senior accountant where there's there's tons and tons of senior accountant openings he was a controller so i think circling back to to andy's point in the beginning of this conversation of what we're seeing a lot of searches. It's controllers. And, and this this guy happened to be a profile that a lot of people like to go after when they're looking for controllers. He worked at public companies. He had big four background. We also had startup background. So he had the mix, the perfect mix of everything, which yeah. everybody wants right now. And it just led to him getting a lot of opportunities on his plate. And he had seven and, and thankfully he ended up going with one of our clients on that one. But yeah, I've never seen anything like that for any level, let alone uh, okay. A controller type type candidate.
0: It could never yeah. happen, right? Like there there could not be a convergence of market opportunities and ability to interview. There has been this past year. You could never yeah. have ever had seven corporate controller or chief accounting officer offers simultaneously. You'd be lucky to have two. Yeah. yeah. Right. Two would have been a lot of work. Oh my gosh, falling in sick and dentist yeah. this and that. And you'd be, it would just never happen.
2: I don't know how he got his regular job done during the, during the right. last month. I mean, interviewing,
0: they got multiple rounds of interviews. Like that's crazy. If clients are going to keep up with things, they need to move quickly. And that typical interview cycle that might've been four rounds, I'm guessing is two or three because you can do it or maybe, and I don't know what you guys are saying, but I think I'm, I'm guessing there's probably also lots of team interviews, or you can get on a Zoom call with a couple of people in two different places, and you may not have done typically in an office setting. So I think things are a lot more efficient, but still, that's an astonishing level of efficiency from both sides. This podcast is going to go out after they edit out some of our mistakes, particularly mine, probably middle of December. So this will be an opportunity for someone to hear what we've seen over the course of the past year, but also maybe... Think about what they can do differently in 2022 to get different results from their efforts. Is there anything that you might suggest as you look into a crystal ball, not necessarily predicting what 2022 is going to be like, although I think it's going to be pretty darn similar. But is there anything that you would give as, as a suggestion to a client or candidate in the 2022 year?
3: Yeah, I think Tony brought this up earlier, but but creating a really great candidate experience, and it's really hard to do two-dimensionally. It's, it's easier three-dimensionally when you're in an office and you're meeting tons of people, but how do you really set yourself apart as a great place to work? And how do you really get that culture across in this two-dimensional world we're living in? And it's a challenge, but I think some companies are doing a really great job about it. because They're talking about their cultures on their website and their values, and they're listed in the job description, and they walk the walk. and People talk about that during the interviews, and I think that's a a really important thing.
2: Yeah, and and I think on the candidate side, it's asking more questions about culture so that they can really make sure that they're making the right move. Going back to Andy's candidate that that came back to a month later, maybe it was just something that she missed in the interview process in terms of the company culture because she was interviewing two-dimensionally. She wasn't able to walk into into the the doors of the office and walk around and, and see people. And was it a quiet environment? Is it a loud environment? What are the people like? And to be thinking about questions that maybe you wouldn't normally ask about culture in in a setting where you're actually going into an office to interview now that you are interviewing remotely. Yeah, it's always tough to predict like what's going to happen next year. I didn't know, like going into 2021, like 2020 was a really tough year and it started to improve at the end of 2020. But 2021 has been great and, and I hope it continues to go into 2022 as well.
0: I, I would put my money on that. For sure and hopefully it'll continue with some maybe reversion to some mean of normalcy i don't know that'll be you know healthy for all of us speaking of healthy i will wish everyone who's been able to participate in this podcast from a listening perspective in an amazing holiday season among the blessings that i get to count are working with wonderful folks like andy and tony and a host of tremendous people here at the dewinter group so if you have any thoughts questions to reach out to any of us all of our contact information is on the website and uh, we'll wish you a happy wonderful prosperous 2022 thanks guys for joining
1: yeah thank you thank you derek take care thank you for listening to the leaders of modern finance podcast if you enjoyed this episode please leave a five-star review you can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com leaders of modern finance Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5X faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.